Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Our agenda for today's 30 minutes is to go through oil and gas pretty quickly, macro pretty quickly, then start with page four. We spent a lot of time on the first three pages. Let's start with page five after we finish oil, gas, and macro, and we'll go down through the oil and gas companies, which would be page 12, and then next week we'll we'll do from 13 on, and we'll leave at least 10 minutes today to go through pages one through four, where there's plenty of news with the earnings announcements. And with that, on the oil page, not too much to say, except to point to two things. One is the surplus capacity of 4 million barrels. Two and a half or so of that is Saudi Arabia. That oil was going to be added if there was a deal between Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the U.S. And with the October 7th events, Hamas's barbarous activity in those kibbutz next to the Gaza Strip, that's put off indefinitely. So oil's higher, but we have to all, as investors in all companies, we all have to keep in mind that it was going to be lower. On gas, we need weather. Unfortunately, here in the Northeast, we're not having the proper weather. It's supposed the forecast is to get quite a lot cooler next week. Hopefully, that we'll catch up the degree days we're losing. Gas is still 25 contract is still 440. Remember, two weeks ago, that number was $4. So that big a move in the 25 contract is remarkable. On uh, Exhibit A, the early estimates of the deficit for our federal government, which is predicted here by the CBO in the spring, at a trillion four comes out like a trillion seven or a trillion eight. And that's just impossibly high. The House now has, I know walking by the TV set, the House now has a speaker, this gentleman from Louisiana, Michael Johnson. Hopefully they'll get back to regular way with the appropriations bills and really try to chip away at spending. With that, I want to go to uh, page five. This is a charter Comcast comparison. Here we have two uh, stocks that are pretty much out of favor. They're trading at pretty low multiple times free cash flow. I have an updated Comcast, 12 times free cash flow. Enterprise value, 12 times free cash flow is low. 13 times for charter is low. Comcast has the advantage of having content too, which I think is an advantage where charter's just delivering your internet signals. They will be active buying in their stock. So even though the free cash flow may not be increasing that much, given the competitive pressures, they will be buying in stock. And with that, Jason, anything to add there on on that particular sector? 
you know, the Comcast has the regional sports networks and those are really struggling. So that's probably part of the reason that the multiples held down. And the transition to streaming, obviously, sort of a shrinking pie. They still hold, cable still holds live. It's the best place for live events. I do think that if someone figures out how to do live well as a streaming product, that could be a big issue for these. Um, and I think Amazon's trying to do that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what, I guess I've watched live programs there and I, it's not that I feel like they don't do it well. It's everyone expects sports to be live. Right. It's when, when one of these gets the, the streaming rights to a big sports league. Right. Does, how does, how does Amazon do their Thursday night football? That That's just, regular way that's at like an amazon prime event right they don't try to stream that yeah so it is streamed over their amazon prime app yeah, and you, yeah so, so you'll have to i guess you can get it on a, on the browser too but if you have their amazon prime video app you know not i i'll, I'll watch it on apple tv right any dimin- diminution in quality um not that i noticed no no so it's regular way i guess mike the logic of streaming is you wouldn't have to have ads actually no i wouldn't say it's that you wouldn't have to have ads i would say it's more the user experience is different right maybe you just don't i mean there's so many people that just don't sign up for the cable bundle anymore myself included so if i want to see something live i'll either go somewhere to watch it or try to figure out where I can get it live over the top, if you will, like through Apple TV, through Amazon prime or YouTube TV or one of the other methods. There's no one throat to choke there yet. And I think people are sort of used to having the one relationship with the cable company. You see anything on the next page and page six, this is AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, anything that makes them other than, kind of cash flow with a fair amount of debt attached. Do you see any any significant upside? I mean, I guess T-Mobile's been doing better than AT&T and Verizon, but what would be the argument? I mean, these things are trading in the mid-teens times free cash flow. I mean, what, what's the argument, for if, if, if there is an argument for owning any of these three? I think at this point, there's a bit of cannibalization going on among each other and their various product lines. So Verizon, for example, at our office, we use the direct to, well, direct to office, direct to home wireless connection for our office internet that competes against their own Fios product. Maybe not in this right. building, but it definitely competes against AT&T. So Verizon's stealing an AT&T customer. Meanwhile, AT&T is offering a similar product, probably stealing Verizon customers. So I think in you know business strategy, you'd call this a bloody red ocean, which would <laughs> not really be where you want to be. And then you have Dish through Boost Infinite as a potential fourth competitor, which historically has not been good for profits in this business. You know, we've, we've talked about Dish in the past. If they are successful, they should have a superior cost structure. But the amount of debt that the business carries makes their situation extremely precarious in a high interest rate environment. So we will have to see. 
Well, then, yeah. and a fifth player potentially in in SpaceX in the next next I've, two years. Yeah. I've, and then T-Mobile and Verizon are are taking some business from Comcast and Charter and the other cable companies with their fixed base wireless, which looks like <laughs> capacity that wasn't needed for 5G as being deployed to compete with the, the uh, internet business of the cable companies. And well, and vice versa, right? You, you have uh, right. Comcast and Charter that are offering cell phone plans through MVNO services through, I think, Verizon, maybe for both yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah, because they have some kind of a spectrum deal, so they can provide pretty good, pretty good mobile service. You know, again, <laughs> the the most notable thing I think we have on T-Mobile is that they were going to automatically upgrade a bunch of their legacy customers to, as they upgrade with air quotes, um, upgrade to the current plans, which are a lot more expensive, and. Presumably, they started that, and it didn't go very well because they've backtracked on it completely. So consumers, especially in this market environment, you can expect them to be very price sensitive. So T-Mobile is going for raising prices on their customer, and you know they, they clearly saw enough data that suggested that that wasn't a good strategy. Page 7, PayPal has... Bubble being the third coming of MasterCard and Visa. MasterCard and Visa just kind of charge along. They may not have the same kind of uplift as companies we cover on page one, two, and one through four, but still pretty impressive records. I mean, if you look at the interim results, you know, their revenues are growing, their free cash flow is growing. Now, you do pay 25, 30 times free cash flow for them. So, you can't make the argument that they're cheap. Anything here to attract you, Jason? I think charge along is a good pun for it. Um, you know, <laughs> Visa just reported their earnings last night, and uh, they they saw sales up, credit card swipes up, and that led the management there to emphatically say there's no recession coming. But I feel like they're maybe not a they're not a leading indicator on that. I'll be curious to see what PayPal reports next week, being that they're more e-commerce focused, and that's you know, maybe maybe one of the earlier places to crack in the economy. Right. And of course, Musk says that he wants to make X, Twitter, into uh, a competitor with PayPal. Seems like very ambitious. Uh, I think he specifically said he wants to make it into the largest financial institution in the world, which <laughs> I, yeah, no lack of ambition there, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, he, he takes his model from the, the Chinese super apps. And I, and I get where he's coming from because they're very successful there. But I just I don't see the U.S. as a market where that where we'd kind of tolerate that. Right. Uh, the next page, page eight, Walmart in, in the interim is doing better than Target. I think Lowe's and Home Depot are challenged a bit with not as much people moving. I think people want to stick with their 3% mortgages and are less likely to move. I think that probably hurts Lowe's and Home Depot a bit. Their sales were down, their free cash flow was down. Walmart just chugs along. Target just seems to have, have trouble. You know, just seems to not be as consistent as Walmart. 
And of course, they both have to compete with Amazon. And anything here that strikes either one of you as interesting from an investment point of view at this stage? Uh, we're, uh, we're staring at each other. <laughs> I think that's yeah. a no. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Time, time for page nine. <laughs> page nine, Exxon bought Pioneer, Chevron bought Hess. I'm sure Conoco and Oxy are looking. Oxy's carrying around the debt from buying Anadarko and the preferred from Berkshire. Chenier's an interesting one. It's uh, the largest participant by far in the U.S. LNG business. No one else is close. Off these numbers, it's trading for eight times free cash flow, which seems cheap. i just say the overall trend of LNG pricing is down. So I don't know that even though a lot of their business is tolling, it certainly has to have an impact. It's interesting, Exxon in their Pioneer acquisition and Chevron, their Hess acquisition, used stock. Normally you'd think that they're large, less able to compound so that they would be trading at significant discounts from the upstream companies. So it'd be hard for them to use stock, but Exxon, I make Exxon here at 10 times free cash flow and Chevron at 12 times, which we'll see when we turn turn the page is those are not bad multiples for upstream companies. Jason, Mike, anything, anything else on page nine? No, but I think I resonate with the theory that, well, clearly Exxon and Chevron have is that oil is going to be here longer than what was seemed like momentarily, at least at the tail end of COVID, that oil, there was a general consensus that oil was going away altogether. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's interesting to see how the the mentality of the market shifts. I saw a headline this morning. I think it was the IEA, which is kind of the consumer country's answer to OPEC, saying that uh, maximum oil use would be in 2030. I promise you that. Exxon or Chevron management thought the maximum oil use is going to be 2030. They would not be buying Pioneer and Hess. Um, page 10 is midstream companies. They have a reputation for being a, a less volatile way to invest in the energy business. The problem is they all have fairly high debt levels. At that time, free cash flow six, seven times. That's high. So they're not able to increase their dividend as much as, say, upstream companies have been able to. You know, I think Mike and Jason said it well in talking about DISH. DISH is interesting from a technology point of view and whatnot, but the debt, debt levels are difficult, especially you know, with, with our economy now, with the U.S. government you know, potentially crowding out other borrowers. Page 11 is some upstream companies. Once again, if we look at the free cash flow multiple, it's in 11 times. So I don't have Pioneer, I don't have Hesseter, but I imagine if we spread them out, they'd be fairly, fairly similar. Just create an opportunity for Chevron and Exxon to add significantly to their reserves and cash flow by using their stock. Page 12 is gas companies. Yes, I had that marvelous bounce last week. I would say these companies, Antero, which we helped start, and individuals here still own a lot of Antero stock, EQT, Chesapeake, 
are all trading like gas is around $3. Each one of them, if you look at their free cash flow, each one of them, 50 cents improvement in the average gas price would double their free cash flow. So unlike the midstream companies, these companies have gotten their debt down. If you believe that gas pricing will be better, these, these are, as I say, they seem to be discounting about $3. Antero Midstream is interesting. It, when you contrast it with Antero Resources, Antero Resources runs it. It doesn't really have a separate management. It has a separate board. And Antero Resources owns about a third of it. But you can see their debt levels are much higher. Their enterprise value times free cash flow is, you know, kind of lines up. But you you can see debt times free cash flow uh, into a midstream is much higher. And that leaves us to the financial companies, and those we'll cover next Wednesday. I think we've preserved about eight minutes to cover pages one, two, three, and four. Why don't we go backwards? Why don't we do page four first? This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager who truly understands the dynamics of the market and how to deliver impressive returns, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. And now, back to the show because I'm not sure how much we really got to page four last week. Jason's spoken out prior calls in favor of Meta's, you know, AI will will be good for Meta's business. So over to you, Jason, on how, uh, how Meta looks to you at this point. Yeah, Mike and I were just talking about it this morning, and, and they're kind of just chugging along, and they're, they're doing a lot of the right things, except then they get sued by... 30-something U.S. states. I, th- I think it's specifically for Instagram being destructive to the the youth of America. <laughs> yeah, it, it states in quotes, uh, this is what it says, harmful and psychologically manipulative product features to induce young users compulsive and extended platform use. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, huh, that sounds a lot like cigarettes. So if you, you think about cigarette companies, it's like a similar... Uh, accusation so if it goes down this path with a bunch of additional government regulation what does that actually mean for investors in the stock it's probably very good because essentially the regulation on the tobacco companies has really insulated their competitability yeah my my mind when i heard the headline went a little different and and i was wondering if this is the state's warm-up against a, a suit for tiktok because it's generally known that TikTok is even more addictive and the algorithm is even more sticky to your attention span. So is, is this like the warm-up for, for them to go after TikTok, finally, as oh. they've been threatening for oh. a couple of years now? A couple of right. administrations now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Amazon, why don't we talk? I don't think Amazon's report earnings yet. I think it's tomorrow, the next day, or something. Yeah, that's right. Why don't we leave Amazon for next week? Oh, there's something to mention, though. We've got two minutes on Amazon. Mainly just that Microsoft had earnings the other day, and we'll talk about that in a second. 
But it relates to Amazon because Amazon's selling off because Microsoft and Azure Cloud is doing quite well. They indicated they're growing and they're actually capturing startups, which has typically been Amazon's business. So you remember that Amazon has a very different business model when it comes to building out an AI cloud. Amazon's kind of going the open source path, lots of different tools with kind of commoditized and customized for the customer. As of right now, Microsoft's winning, but in the long run, we, we don't really know what will shake out. Historically, if you look at some of Clayton Christensen's research on um, competitive strategy, he says that integrated products typically win in the beginning of a technological change because the existing solutions are not good enough, but ultimately ends up losing out to modularized products that are more customizable and cost-effective in the long run. So if you hold Amazon stock, don't go run out and sell it. They have a different strategy, and it's not crazy to think that what they're doing is different. Jason, um, if you had to buy either Netflix or Walt Disney, and I assume they're probably from an investment point of view, not at this point interested in either one of them, which one would you pick between Netflix and Walt Disney? Well, you're, you're right. I'm not super interested in either one of them. I like Netflix more, but I don't like what they're doing right now. So they, they've, they had a price hike last year. They've rolled out their crackdown of password sharing this year, and that's really goosed their returns here. But they've also announced an, another further price hike. So at some point, they're squeezing their customer a little too hard, in my opinion. And, and this is an industry where the the switching costs are very low. So, you know, at some point the customers, Netflix lives and dies by their subscriber count and the growth in that number. And, and they can really easily turn that the wrong way by, by raising rates. And Bob Iger probably wishes he stayed in retirement. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. <laughs> page three news on page three. Any news at all across those five companies? Something that hit the headlines but wasn't really news to us was that NVIDIA is making a CPU. They already sell uh, the Grace Hopper Superchip, which is a, a CPU and a GPU combination. They've been manufacturing CPUs. I think what's new and what finally caught someone's attention was they're going to release a CPU for Windows PC consumer devices. And they, and they saw that as a threat against Intel. I don't know if that, I'm not confident that plays out. Intel has the, they have the name brand for PCs and NVIDIA is known in the gaming circles, but not far beyond that. Yeah, I think it's mostly interesting that Microsoft is going to invest the capital to make, apparently, make the, the ARM version of Windows just as good as the x86 version. So that's more interesting. And on page two, the Microsoft earnings were very strong. You guys have been predicting it, but I guess it's partly just doing well all over, but also some some impact from AI, I guess. Yeah, this, they, they've... 
their clouds, Azure cloud segment grew 24%, which, and they're forecasting it to accelerate growth to they projected 26 or 27% next quarter. Um, that, that they attributed mostly to new customers using the open AI tools. And as Mike mentioned, they're grabbing smaller companies and startups to, to build off that too. As you can imagine, you know, the, the startup community was clamoring to use the chat GPT and productize it. So, so it makes a lot of sense. It's interesting that I, th- one thing I thought was interesting is, is the Office 365 growth was pretty solid and they're predicting accelerating growth there as they release the, the co-pilot tool on November 1st, I believe. Mm-hmm. But they're not, they're not predicting a ton of growth. And I, and I think they're maybe sandbagging there or being a little conservative. They also mentioned, Satya mentioned that 40% of Fortune 100 companies are, are previewing the product already. And, and they're getting really great reviews of it. So I would expect... A, a good portion of their customers sign up in early November to at least try it out. And if they say, if it's as, if it turns out as sticky as they, they claim it is, then that's going to be great news for Microsoft. I, I, my takeaway is if you listing this in earn, earnings was really interesting because when Satya took over windows or Microsoft was, everything was centered around windows and that has completely shifted over the years with with Satya opening up the platform to do more things and integrate with more things. The culmination of all that sort of being this open AI partnership where the open AI model is undergird everything that they're doing in AI. So for GitHub Copilot, that's the same fundamental model that powers that as the same model that's going to power Copilot for 365 that's also going to power some of their other AI products. And the opportunity for them here is just to keep further specializing to get their costs way, way down. And they've announced that they're working on a chip, their own custom silicon, which will likely be tailored specifically to the open AI models. So because they're, they have so much scale, the advantage that they'll have versus a startup or any other competitor is going to be significant. So I, I think we've talked about this in the past, how AI seems like it's a sustaining innovation in that it kind of benefits the incumbents rather than the disruptors. That's really what we're seeing play out here with Microsoft and that they're just, they were strong and getting stronger as a result of this new technology. Yep. We've run out of time. We'll leave page one for next week. Meantime, everyone be well and stay healthy and, uh, Remember, uh, emails into Diane. Uh, we'll we'll do our best to uh, treat with them. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information, 
and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. 